Hi, I'm Deirdre Veldon and this is Confronting Coronavirus, a podcast on the COVID-19 outbreak. This week, China's capital, Beijing, raised its emergency level as dozens of new coronavirus cases emerged in a new outbreak of the virus that is yet to be brought under control. Many Beijing residents are banned from travel outside the city and some measures lifted in recent weeks have been reimposed, including the closure of schools and suspension of sports events. The new restrictions and growing worry over the outbreak of COVID-19 in Beijing is a reminder of how unpredictable flare-ups of the virus could frustrate all our efforts to return to normal, not just in China, but around the world. Peter Goff reports from China for the Irish Times. Peter, the manner of this outbreak in Beijing has unhappy resonances with the original coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely, uh, Deirdre. This is also um, sparked from a wet market, a massive wholesale market in Beijing. And of course, in Wuhan, it was a wholesale seafood market where we had the first cluster that emerged too. This this market in Beijing is is a massive wholesale market. It's the biggest one in Asia. They say it amounts to it size-wise. It's about a, the size of 160 football fields. It caters to Beijing's um, fresh food produce, covers about 80% of the daily needs. It's a huge operation, very big amount of travelers coming in every day, suppliers coming from all around the country, people coming in, buying there for restaurants, buying for supermarkets, and also uh, independent people coming in, buying their own fruit and veg and, and meats and so on. So uh, that has helped propel it across the city and indeed across the country. So far, we've seen four provinces where positive cases have been linked to that uh, market in Beijing. Gosh, and it seems that traders and shoppers might have have seeded the virus not only in the city, but outside, you say? Yes. So in in the last two days, there have been cases identified that are are positive cases for the first time in several weeks, and uh, they have traced them back to contacts who were related to this market. So so that has uh, obviously uh, prompted concern and uh, the the city has gone into um, a sort of a fairly uh, stringent um, semi-lockdown, not quite as stringent as it was back in January when it first emerged. But um, a lot of a lot of the city in, in the uh, particularly in the southwestern districts of Fengtai have gone into lockdown. Schools have closed again. Schools only many schools only reopened last week. They've closed again. All public events, some restaurants, bars, and so on. Uh, they have they have shuttered again. Again, so it's gone back to that sort of lockdown footing in many parts of the city. The uh, Airports have cancelled about 1,200 flights today, so that, so basically it's only about a third of the domestic flights coming out of that, coming out of Beijing. Most international flights are still off. Basically, the, uh, China's borders have been shut for the past two months and only um, Chinese citizens can return to China, but basically the, the international flow of traffic has not resumed yet. Um, people from high-risk areas in the city uh, are not allowed to, le- to leave the area. People from mid, mid or low-risk areas uh, can leave, but they have to get... Um, a nucleic acid test and there are about 200 booths that have been set up around the city giving tests to people but then uh, we have seen already there's a uh, massive queues many pla- many places are are not taking any more people for the next few days because they say they can't deal with the current backlog so there will be a, there will be some wait before many people can get tested is there evidence peter that things have been let slide a little bit on the testing front in that there is now not that availability of of testing well, the the testing was never as wide scale in Beijing. The uh, 
because Beijing really before this only had a f about 400 cases that were local transmissions. It was it was kind of lightly affected. It had another couple of hundred cases that were uh, imported cases from people returning to China. So it never had that sort of uh, that scaled up level of testing. Whereas Wuhan, for example, we saw had a massive scale uh, scale up testing, and they in in a period of about two weeks they tested nearly 10 million people. Up in the up in the Russian border, there was an outbreak about it last month, and they also tested several like seven million people within a few days. But these were in areas where there were known outbreaks and clusters, and so that they really focused on. They didn't have that um, in in place in Beijing because they thought there was they basically thought it was under control. And um, like I said, they, it was um, four hundred cases of local transmission. They had gone fifty six days without one recording another local infection. They're about to hit the two month mark. Uh, when this outbreak occurred uh, at the weekend. It was a major embarrassment to the city. They fired the top of Communist Party officials from the region. Um, it's sort of a, it's re and um, uh, they have had, had to go out and sort of issue sort of some sort of form of mea culpas. And it's um, caused a lot of anger in the city because it's uh, psychologically been, very, been a real blow because people thought they had got past them after three or four months of lockdown. They were, the economy obviously had been badly hit by that. And that when Justin was starting to come back to some kind of normality, it's back again to uh, square one, it seems. And what are confidence levels there like that the, the outbreak can be contained without uh, more drastic measures having to be introduced? Well, the as we see the measures in effect here, the, the, one of the controversies are that the, the measures have been too draconian. In, with, with what we've seen so far, we're looking at now something like 137 cases and they've essentially locked down a city of 20 million people because of that. So many people, many business people and restaurants are grumbling that this, they think it's too much of a, of a reaction in that regard. Now, you, won't, you will not see situations that we've seen in, say, in the United States where you see people uh, disregarding orders and, and coming out anyway, disregarding social social uh, distancing uh, uh, regulations, are are meeting on the streets for any kind of gathering whatsoever. That will not be happening in China, because, of course, uh, in the authoritarian state that it is, uh, that will not be tolerated. Um, also, um, so it's uh, you know, people were still wearing masks up until um, up until this. So so that will co will continue. But there will be the, um, they do say they're on a military footing with this, and that's quite literal the, the army has literally been sent in and they are parading around the streets so their their people are being driven into their homes uh, they are the streets are kind of empty in the in the, in the effect, most affected parts of the city and uh, it is really a, a now under lockdown so there is quite a high hopes that they can control it but it will take you know two three four weeks before we see see that and of course that will um they will be a very tense few weeks before we see see if there are others um other uh, clusters emerging elsewhere in the city in the, during that time. And this is a real uh, blip in, in China's recovery. Um, how, what, what has the pattern been uh, with COVID-19 uh, across the country over the last few weeks? It's basically since for, there was a full lockdown for end of January until about end of March, April, there was a tentative uh, re-emergence. And then by May, so it was starting to get back to normality. We so basically, apart from in the last few weeks, we had pretty much everything was back to normal footing. Apart from the international borders were still closed, and major major um, sporting cultural events and so on were still not permitted. And everything else, bars, restaurants, um, you and like I say, schools were back online from last week. Everything else had basically come back to some kind of some kind of normal. Um, so um, and the economy was back. They say between eighty and ninety percent uh, running at that point. So where uh, there was. Um, 
it was getting the it was the energy was was feeling back in many cities you would you go around you you would barely even know that the uh, the virus had struck uh, so with the uh, like I say the face masks were quite prevalent even before corona uh, the coronavirus uh, was so in in china because of you know other other virus fears and and uh, pollution fears and so on people tend to often tend to wear uh, face masks here so uh, yes yeah, so it was getting back to normal and uh, now we're, now it has um it has taken several steps backwards um, the government says they will. They're, they're assertive that they will. They will get this under control. And um, particularly in the capital, it's particularly embarrassing and so on. Also because of Beijing is a, a major hub, and um, you know across the, across the country, so people are coming in and out typically. So they really are keen to shut this down as quick as possible. Is there any sense of public panic about this, Peter? Uh, because in particular, the circumstances are so similar to the original outbreak. There's a lot of scepticism, I think, about what what the um, the, the similarity. The similarity. The first case in Wuhan market, it was said said to be linked to um, to uh, wildlife. In that, you know, it's a it's a wet market, but there were some uh, and the wet markets can be just basically mean farmers markets. Um, but in some of them, they do sell wildlife. And in Wuhan, that was the case. Out of the two thousand stalls that were in operation there, there were about ten of them that were selling wildlife. And they, when they, when the inspectors went in and took swabs, it was in the section where they were selling where they were selling um, uh, wildlife that they found the the the, uh, the coronavirus um, infections. So. And that's where they believe it came from originally from bats and then through an intermediary host. In this case, in the Beijing market, it was in a seafood area where they found it close to imported salmon, um, and they found they found it on the chopping boards that were clo- uh, where the um, where where salmon was cut. And uh, so, the people do not even though the the Beijing authorities have now they stopped importing salmon. They've taken salmon and seafood um, out of supermarkets and all. This the Center for Disease Control and most people here, the scientists and general, the general opinion is that it did not come from imported seafood, but they are taking that precaution. And um, they do think that the, the the these markets themselves, because they're very humid, they're dark, they're sort of sometimes they can be dirty and so on. They could be incubators for things like viruses. So therefore, they could be they could let, um, generally lend themselves to um, to these things. They also have a huge flow of traffic coming through them, of course. And so on. So that could be the over the reason why. Of course, there's resonances here too, not just with the Wuhan, with the Wuhan outbreak, also, but with, with the SARS outbreak in 2003 that also came from a market. When, and again, that the intermediary uh, species at that time was civet cats, um, coming originally from bats. So, the, so the um, definitely the spotlight is on these markets, and people are wondering uh, what it is. Obviously, one element, a key element, is that is people were consuming wildlife, and that was um, that was a critical issue. But that doesn't seem to be the case in in, in this in this Beijing situation. This new outbreak will be seen as a warning to other countries who previously saw China China as a model uh, to reopen their own economies. And um, how big a threat is this outbreak to whatever recovery is taking place? Well, it, it depends largely on on, how, on to what extent we see the uh, we see uh, new cases. Now we're seeing, like we say, we're seeing thirty. We saw thirty seven today, uh, and um, thirty one and six suspected cases. So um, that's um, if it continues to if the numbers grow exponentially, that would be a major blow. If they can control it and keep it down the next few days, of course, they would be able they would be able to then declare something of an early victory, and it would. Um, it would put, uh, in some ways, they could take credit because of the uh, their testing and uh, their tracing campaign. They're pretty Im- impressive in the way that uh, almost two days after this outbreak, they were able to identify that 200,000 people had actually gone into that market over the past 14 days. 
and they were pretty much a able to identify who they were and where they were, you know, from from um, from uh, so various footage, uh, camera footages, and phone usages, and so on. So um, that is. Um, yeah, that is obviously a, some part of the, the a benefit of the system here that they have the, the, the sort of privacy laws are not quite in effect in, in China that it would be in, in the Western world. So they were able to trace places. They were able to tell people, um, notify communities around the country that somebody in your in your district had been to uh, the Beijing market and uh, and uh, had been close to uh, cluster of infections and so on. So. In that way, the uh, the, the testing and tracing um, setup seems to be quite efficient. Peter, of course, you're not in, in Beijing, you're, you're in uh, Chengdu. What, what level of coronavirus measures are still in place there? Well, Sichuan province, where, where I am, is in the sort of central west. It's uh, that had we've had about eight, 600 cases, uh, confirmed cases here uh, since the outbreak began. Um, so it's a relatively uh, small number. And um, again, like, like Beijing, from a uh, that most restrictions were lifted and it has come back to sort of to most uh, to, to normality on most levels. The things we haven't seen yet here are um, universities are not back open. Uh, kindergartens were only open about a week ago, um, and um, the creches and so on. So they only very very recently came back online. Most other things are back functioning again. The same things in um, major sporting events, major cultural events, concerts and so on. They're not really back yet, um, and there's still some sort of levels of social distancing. Uh, people are taking their own precautions, but by and large, the things are back to normal here. Of course, everyone's closely watching the situation in Beijing now and um, and uh, watching the news very, very carefully. And um, I think people are taking their own precautions and um, just just voluntarily social distancing anyway. So that seems to be a that seems to be a, a sort of new normal here, and uh, they will be. Um, Acutely keeping an eye on proceedings and making making and um, certainly not going to high risk areas and and children are being kept home by and large. In an unrelated event, Peter, we're hearing uh, this week about the deaths of at least twenty Indian soldiers in clashes with Chinese troops on China's border with India, um, and unbelievably, neither side was was armed. Um, can you tell us about that? Yes, yeah, so these skirmishes have, go on, have been going on for years and years. Uh, China and India fought a war in 1962 about a, there's three, uh, three large disputed areas in the Himalayas. These are high up. These disputed areas are often more than 4,000 meters high. And over the past four decades and so, they have, they have um, almost something like a, a, a demilitarized zone where you have uh, the, the, on both sides they do come cl very close to each other, but there is a, an agreement they have that they don't bring uh, weaponry within a certain within a certain uh, area because of the risk of of, um, of tensions escalating into violence. Uh, what happened this this season in this spring is that they say that the Indian side build a road structure up until up towards the uh, disputed region um, at the end of last year. China was unhappy about this, and they encroached across this. Um, this this um, this sort of a de facto border that they have, which is a disputed border, and they encroached further into the uh, Indian side in recent weeks. So for the past two weeks, we have seen these uh, skirmishes. Often it's been fist fights and um, you know just uh, and brawls and so on. Apparently yesterday it, that escalated and it was, there was clubs, apparently cl uh, clubs with nails in, in them and so on. Another sort of um, implements they used, and the Indian side recorded that they had the twenty of their. Troops had died. 
the Chinese, on the Chinese side, there have been um, injuries and probably fatalities, but China does, is not in the habit of, of um, making that, of, of declaring um, how many people have died or whatever. So they have just said there was, an, there was a military a, a face-off, there was a clash, but they haven't given any sort of uh, death toll from that side. Both sides are calling for calm, and at this point, I, don't, I think with the... It seems that both the noises coming from both India and Beijing at the moment seem that both sides really don't want this to escalate at this point of time. They're both dealing with the with the out, with the coronavirus outbreak. They're both dealing with the major economic issues and so on. Uh, this has been, a, like I say, a long bubbling dispute for decades that they would hope to get it back onto sort of some sort of calmer footing pretty quickly. And they're holding um, they're holding negotiations at the moment with the, with a view to doing that. Peter, thanks very much. My thanks to Declan Conlon, who produced today's podcast, and thanks for listening. Stay up to date with the latest developments at irishtimes.com. We'll be back next week.